Welcome to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit SharonChurch.com. We hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Grab our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to finish up that chapter this morning. And um, it's just an old-fashioned Bible study this morning. I want to study a few things. I want to try to reverse engineer to get back to some truth. I think what God is doing and shaping this morning for us is, is that we, we need to rest and sit in his love this morning. We're gonna, this is the truth for us. We, I think God wants us to hear is just let him love you today. Let him love you. Let his love in. Let it into the darkest, deepest recesses of your heart, the places where you don't feel worthy, you don't feel good enough, you don't feel clean enough, you don't feel talented enough or gifted enough. Let it in there the places where you know about your addictions, you know about your secret sins, you know about your struggles. Let the love of Christ in there because your willpower isn't gonna overcome it. Uh, Your discipline isn't going to overcome it. Your church attendance isn't going to overcome it. It's only by the love of Christ that we can become the people God has called us to be. So let's let him love us this morning through the reading of his word. As we get into that, I just wanna share a couple things coming up for us as a body, as a church. Uh, November 1st, it's a Sunday from 5 to 6 p.m., we're gonna have a prayer and worship night upstairs in the warehouse. Um, totally acoustic, unplugged uh, way for us just to pray. As a, as a church community, as a church, as, as a whole, I think, in, in the South and in, in the world, we're really good about praying when we gather. I'm not so sure we're good about gathering to pray. So we, we wanna gather to pray, on a, just a, a night we're calling Renewed. I'll teach from Ephesians 4 that morning about being renewed in our thinking, being renewed through the Spirit, and we're gonna pray uh, November 1st that night from five to six. Um, particularly this time, we're gonna do it regularly, but this time it's, it's a few days before there's an election coming up. I don't know if you knew about that, but we're electing a president. Two very great candidates, I think, are there. And so we're gonna, we're gonna pray about that, but we're not gonna pray about that. Here's what we're gonna pray, because we're not gonna pray for a candidate to win. You don't want me to pray. I've been praying for the Braves for the past three games. That hasn't gone well. You don't want me praying for your candidate. Um, but we're gonna pray, we're, we're gonna pray that God orients our hearts around him as the sovereign king. And listen, church, here, here's the truth. No matter who is elected, we are okay. God is still good. God is still God. He's still on the throne. If America turns socialist and communist, you know what happens? The church flourishes. We still have Jesus. We're gonna be fine. We're good. Don't need to fear it. We don't need to um, uh, go off about people. We have Jesus. We win. We have Jesus. So we're gonna worship that night, focus our hearts on him and what's going, what could probably be a contentious Weak, but as the people of God, we are to be known, uh, Paul tells us in Philippians, um, without grumbling or complaining that we might shine as stars in the sky. It sounds simple to not grumble and complain until you wake up, and then it's hard. That's the difference for us. So that's, that'll be that night, um, November 1st, 5 to 6 p.m. There'll be child care for kindergarten down. We're gonna invite elementary students into that. They can worship, they can pray. They have the same spirit in them. We're gonna invite them into that. We're gonna invite you to that. The next day, November 2nd, we'll be, do a day of prayer as a church. Um, a chapel will be open across the street from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. A couple men in the church, this was their idea. This was their vision. God laid on them. It aligned with where we were going, and so we're gonna do that. There'll be prayer guides in the chapel to walk you through some prayers uh, that, that we would have. We'll actually distribute those as well online if you want them, but I wanna encourage you to participate in that. Again, we are, we are good as a church about praying when we gather. We need to begin to become a people who gather just to pray. 
So we wanna, we wanna focus on that. All right, Ephesians chapter three, we'll get into that this morning. And speaking of prayer, this is Paul's second prayer to, to God for the church at Ephesus here in Ephesians three. Paul has given this great vision of a church that's united, a church of Gentile believers and Jewish believers, no dividing wall of hostility, united around the gospel, the good news of Jesus uh, that makes enemies, not just into friends, but makes them family. And because we're family, we don't get to choose family. There's still gonna be contention. There's still arguments. There's still disagreements. So we're gonna need something better. But we are programmed, maybe as Americans, maybe just as people in general, about when we're given a vision, when we're given an idea, when we're given a pep talk, we've got the pregame speech, when we've been given that, we wanna move from there to busting some heads on the football field, right? We wanna move from, okay, you gave me the vision, you gave me the excitement, now what do I do? Let me go do something about it. And I think that's the greatest mistake, the greatest error in the church today is that we jump from vision to application and that we never once stop and seek the Lord. So these verses, verses 14 through 21 of Ephesians 3, I think are the most important eight verses in this book. Because if we don't do this and we move to the application of chapter four, five, and six, we end up right where we started. So we gotta do this. But that's not exciting for us. It's not fun for us. And it's gonna get worse because here's what this prayer is for Paul. Um, it's going to expose us. It's going to reveal things in us. And I wanna encourage us again this morning, let patience finish its work. Let God finish his work today. It's going to expose things in us that we are going to have to deal with if we want to be the people God has called us to be. If you don't want to be that, that's fine. This means nothing. But if we really want that, if we really desire to be those kinds of people, then we're gonna have to allow God to do his work here in Ephesians uh, chapter three. All right, so let's, let's, let's dig in here. We're gonna start in 14. I just wanna teach through it, to, through verse 19, that I wanna walk backwards through it because you're gonna see some things where we are prone to move towards action way too quickly. Ephesians three, verse 14. For this reason... So Ephesians 3, 1 begins with for this reason. Paul takes a detour to give us some more vision and he comes back. So for this reason, because we've been called to be a church that shouts to the cosmic powers that the ways of God are better than the ways of the world, because we've been called to this high calling, because we have this vision of a church that's unified around the gospel and because we're still flawed humans who drift towards ourselves, who drift towards self-righteousness, who, who drift towards comfort, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. If you get nothing else this morning, maybe this needs to be your, uh, your verse for the week. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Maybe that's all we need today. I gotta pray. I gotta go to the Lord. Um, real quick things. I don't have time to teach all of this, but... Paul's gonna mention the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this passage, just in the first few verses. I can't teach a ton about it today. We've talked about it in the past few weeks. Circle these words and begin to see how the Trinity, how the Father, how the Son, and how the Spirit are always doing this cosmic dance to bring us into who God has called us to be. Uh, another thing, we're gonna look at words. I'm using the English Standard Version, the ESV. I like it for me. It's more of a word-for-word -word translation. I like some of that nuts and bolts. Um, NIV, NLT, they're great. They're more of a phrase-by-phrase -phrase translation, which gives us more of the understanding of phrases. In my translation, 
We're gonna see words like so that and that you may over and over and over again. Uh, if you're using the ESV or whatever your translation is, maybe circle those words. In your Bible, you're gonna start to see a pattern here about how Paul writes and particularly how he's praying. He's putting building blocks to get to a result. And if we don't pay attention, we're gonna, we're gonna miss the result and miss the cause and we're just gonna focus on building blocks. So pay attention to that. So for this reason, Paul says, because God's called us to this thing, I bow my knees before God the Father Verse 15, from whom every family, every household and family and on earth is named. 16, that according to the riches of his glory, glory meaning his heaviness, his weight, his power, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Circle that word inner being. We're gonna come back to that. We've seen the father in verse 14, the spirit here in verse 15. Uh, 16, and then verse 17 begins with so that. So here's the beginning of the results. So that Christ, this is uh, God the Son, Christ, there's your Trinity, may dwell in your hearts through faith. All right, so we've got inner being. Inner being uh, is temple language. Think about the temple we talked about the past few weeks. You've got the Gentile courts. You've got the Jewish women courts, the Jewish men courts, the priest courts, and then the high priest. Inside of that, you've got the Holy of Holies, and you've got what's called the inner place. And the inner place of the Holy of Holies is literally where, in the Old Testament, uh, the presence of God lived. That's the inner place. It's where he lived. This word dwell is some language from the temple. It's from that that God would dwell among his people. There's two Greek words for dwell, one meaning to tabernacle with them, to build a tent, to build his own dwelling place. This one means that he moves in with us. He's moved in. Uh, I don't know what kind of roommates you've had or what kind of friends you've had come to your house. And maybe in college, maybe uh, you had a roommate, but your roommate had a friend who literally became your roommate without paying rent. They just kind of moved in. You're like, I, they're not on the lease. How did this, I don't even like this person. How did this happen? This word to dwell uh, is Paul saying, Jesus Christ wants to take up residence in your heart. Take up residence in your heart. But he doesn't move in with the like, hey, it's just me. I'm just gonna show up and I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use your stuff's good enough. I like your couch, I, I like your TV, I like your dishes, we're gonna do that. No, when Jesus moves in, Jesus rearranges the furniture. I would say he doesn't just rearrange the furniture, he brings his own truck of furniture. And he says, hey, your stuff's fine for you, but it's not gonna work for me, so I'm gonna bring in my stuff. You, you've been shopping at Goodwill in yard sales. Um, I've been at Pier 1, so I'm gonna bring my stuff in. You cool with that? When Jesus takes up residence, this is the problem for us, what Joel was talking about, when that dirt is stirred up, uh, we like our old stuff. I mean, it's, it's gross and, and full of dust mites, but I like that orange couch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it. And Jesus, I, but I've got this leather. You don't, want, you don't want this one. When Jesus moves in, when he dwells in our hearts through faith, it causes a war within our inner being. When we were born, we were born into sin. Our flesh, our false nature, um, our essence is sinful. So we are prone to sin. That is the war within us. We are prone to sin. That's our spirit. When the spirit of God moves in, our spirit still lives there and they are at war with each other. It's why we, Paul would say, I do the things I don't want to do, but then it's like I don't do the things that I do want to do. What is wrong with me? 
because there's a war going on. It's why even though you know you shouldn't say those words, when you get stuck on I-75 between 218 and 222, you say all the words because there's a war within you. When Christ, this is what Paul's saying, that we would, Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Then he continues, that you, so that you, being, this is past tense, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend. That word comprehend means to hold on to, to grasp a hold of. Paul is praying in verse 16, we'd be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, that we would have strength to hold on to, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, the magnitude, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. Uh, there's an, it's bigger than I thought it was, is the love of Christ. And Paul's saying he wants us to be able to take hold of it, but we can't do it in our own strength. We have to be strengthened, be given strength to hold on, to comprehend. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We talked about this in Ephesians 1. It's not just an educational love. It's an experiential love. That you may, that's another one there, be filled with all the fullness of God. So I wanna start at the end. I wanna Tarantino it and let's build some pieces back uh, to, the, to the beginning. So here's what, here's what Paul wants. Here's what he wants to happen according to verse 19 is that the church at Ephesus would be filled with all the fullness of God. Pay attention to the words there. They are all 100% filled with all the fullness of God. When we are filled with all the fullness of God, we are satisfied in him. That's what this, that's what this phrase means. Paul desires the church at Ephesus to be satisfied in God. The question for us this morning is, are you satisfied in God? Are you satisfied in what he has provided for you, relationships he's given you, church he's given you, um, the salvation he's given you? Are you satisfied in God? And I will speak for myself, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not, because I really like my old couch. I really liked the ways I had worn it into where I like to sit. I really, I really like the old dishes. I know they aren't as nice and they're chipped, but I really like them. Sometimes I'm not satisfied with God. I'm not. And it leads me to places I don't want to go to. So Paul's desire for the church at Ephesus is that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. And here's why. If they're going to embark on this journey of a church that's known for their love for each other, a church that shouts to the cosmic powers, the ways of God are better than the ways of the world, then they better be satisfied in God. Otherwise, we are prone to wander back into, into Egypt, back into slavery, back into the things that we think would bring us contentment and satisfaction. So that's Paul's prayer. So here's the temptation for me as a pastor and a preacher. My temptation in verse 19 is I wanna preach a sermon on how to be filled with all the fullness of God. And I've got points and they all start with the same letter. There's three of them. I'll end with a story and it'll be, it'll be fine. We'll all go home. But that's not what Paul is saying, right? This is the result of something that he is praying earlier. Okay, so let's reverse engineer and go back. He wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, back to verse 18, well, he wants us to have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. Okay, so then I wanna, I wanna preach a sermon on the expansive love of God. And I wanna go into verse 19 and tell you this love has to be experienced. It can't just be educational. Like, that's where I want to go. 
But that's, that's not where Paul starts, and it's not where he ends. It's just a building block to where he's going. Okay, then let's go back into verse 17. Well, he wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. I love that idea. And in chapter four, he'll tell us that we're not tossed to and fro by the changing ways of culture. Well, let me teach that. Well, that's still just a result of something he's praying. It's still building to something. Well, then I'll, I'll teach about how to let Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, and you're gonna have to get rid of your old furniture. And, well, that's not it. So we find the core of his prayer in verse 16. Here's why he bows before the Father. Asking God, according to the riches of his, of his powerful weight, his glory, that he might grant you, church, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So here's where we're first of all exposed. Our inner beings are weak. We're born into this world, born into sin, and our inner beings are weak. When Paul uses this word inner being, he's speaking of the core, the essence of who we are. It's our soul, our spirit. It's, it's, it's what we are, who we are. And we've become so deceived in the thinking that we can train, we can crossfit, uh, we can orange theory our inner being into being strong enough. And if we just do enough, discipline our enough, ourselves enough, study enough, go to Bible study enough, listen to the right podcast enough, then we'll be stronger in our inner being and we won't be taken back and forth from freedom and slavery. No, Paul's prayer is that God would strengthen our inner being, which means that our inner beings are weak and they can only be strengthened by God and by God alone. So I wanna talk this morning about God's love for us and before you tune me out, because it sounds like, well, that's way too um, emotional and way too uh, so soft and uh, not, not strong enough, I want you to understand Paul's prayer is that only God can make us strong enough to hold the love of God in our hearts. Humans, humanly speaking, in our flesh, we don't have the ability to comprehend and to experience and to hold God's love in our heart. You wanna know how I know that? It's because right now when we sing and when we study in church, you hold the love of God in your heart. But the moment you get to a restaurant and the waitress doesn't bring you ranch dressing fast enough, you've lost the love of God in your heart. The moment you go upstairs and you realize that you still have a child who disobeys you, and that Allison hasn't fixed him, you realize what you thought you were holding onto, it's seeping out. You can't hold onto it. So when Paul calls the church to be unified, to be a cosmic shout uh, to the powers and authorities in the air, when, when he calls us to that, here's what he realizes, we can't do it. So we can't jump from Ephesians 2 to Ephesians 4. We gotta do this. We gotta do this. So here's what's gonna get frustrating for us. Um, Paul's gonna give us an MRI. He's gonna give us an X-ray. He's gonna expose where weakness is, where, uh, where a, a mass is, where a broken bone is, but then he's not going to give us steps of how to rehab it. And that's frustrating. He's not gonna tell you what vitamins to take and what essential oils to rub all over your knee. He's not gonna do that. He's gonna say, um, I'm praying for you. And we're like, come on, do more. Do more than ask God to do it. Well, here's what's gonna be revealed to us. Our, our weakness is going to be revealed to us this morning. And I wanna encourage us this morning, um, let's be honest 
Let's be honest about it. If, if Christ wants to dwell in our hearts, if we're honest, there are rooms in our hearts, rooms in our apartment, rooms in our dwelling place that we're, we don't want God to get into. And I used to think it was because, well, we like having those things hidden. That's not why. It's because you don't think he can handle it. Yeah, but if, if God sees that, he's gonna leave just like everyone else in my life has left. But if God sees that, he's gonna be disappointed with me like, like my dad was. Well, if I let God in here, if I let him love me, that's, I'm just gonna expose that I'm weak and I'm lazy and I don't want that because last time that happened, I lost a good friend or I lost a spouse or a job. Here's what we have to do this morning. We have to let God love us into victory. Let God love us into power. Let God love us into freedom this morning. So I just, I wanna spend some time with three things, three ways for us that the weakness of our inner being manifests itself. Because if we're not careful as good church people, um, we can deny our weakness and we can focus on our strength. But what God does constantly is that he reveals our weakness, not as a way to expose and humiliate us, but as a way to expose us that he might heal us. Um, I, for most of my life, ran from being exposed because I didn't think God actually wanted my best. He didn't have my best interest at heart. He just wanted to make a fool of me. So, key truths for us, God is good and God loves you. He's good and he loves you. So when he performs surgery, when he brings in the MRI machine, when he lays the x-ray over us, it's because he's good and because he loves us. So let me just give you three ways I think that this manifests itself. I can take us back to Genesis 3 to show you this. I can show you through the life of Peter and the disciples. Um, I think there's three ways, three weaknesses, three ways that weakness is exposed in us, in our inner beings. And one is anger. There's a way that we can know that we aren't strong enough to hold the love of Christ in our hearts. And first, for many of us, it manifests itself in an anger. Paul will tell us in Ephesians 4 um, to be angry but do not sin because in being angry, you give the devil a foothold. In the Greek, that word means uh, that he has slid his foot in the door so it cannot close. Well, anger does that for us. And for many of us, here's how. Here's how God exposes it to us. And as long as our eyes are open to it, we're gonna see it. And maybe through God's grace and his spirit today, that this week you're gonna see, oh, okay, okay. But again, this is not a thing to be fixed. It's not a thing to will yourself into. It's not something to uh, manipulate or manufacture. The reason why we become angry is because we don't believe God loves us in those places. We're not settled. We're not filled with all the fullness of God. Here are three ways it manifests itself. One is through revenge. We want revenge. That person hurt me. I want them to hurt. Um, that person hurt my family. I want them to suffer. Now, as Christians, we're not going to make them suffer. We're gonna pray that God makes them suffer. And then we're gonna say, what vengeance is the Lord's? So I'm just gonna ask him. Well, when that rises up in us, here's what it's revealing. There's a spot in our heart where we haven't let the love of Christ in yet. We just haven't let it get there. Because if you were satisfied in God, you would not have revenge for the person that has hurt you. Uh, second, it reveals itself in resentment for those of us who aren't confrontational enough to actually have revenge. We just build it in our hearts. 
and we make up ideas, but we don't actually share it. There's resentment, uh, and resentment builds and it manifests, it just builds and then it reveals itself. And so when there's resentment in your heart, it's an MRI and it's an X-ray and the great physician is saying, hey, here, right here, right here, you haven't let me in here yet. There's a spot here you haven't let me in yet. You're not settled. You aren't satisfied in me. And finally, self-righteousness, which I think is probably where it manifests for most of us because we know revenge is bad and we know resentment is bad, but righteousness is good. So we make ourselves better than other people. Anger manifests itself in a prideful self-righteousness that condemns one sin of someone else while neglecting your own sin in your heart. And then this self-righteousness boils to a point where, again, it overflows. Where there's self-righteousness in your heart, there's an area in your heart, in my heart, where we haven't let the love of God satisfy us yet. So this morning, if the water of God's grace is stirring up the dirt of self-righteousness in your heart, I want to encourage you and compel you, as a pastor who loves you, let it keep going. So anger, secondly, I think, is fear. Fear is a way that we are exposed as being weak in our inner being. There are three things we run to in fear. The first is comfort. When we're afraid, we run to the things that comfort us. Um, And it's often not God. It might be a spouse. Uh, It might be a home. It might be a spot in your home. It might be a book. It might be Netflix. Uh, It might be a food. But in fear, we, we run towards comfort. Well, make me feel comfortable. Make me feel safe. Secondly, we run towards control. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying you might. You might run towards control, which is interesting, isn't it? When we're afraid, we want to control. But if we're honest and we look back at the things that we have controlled, that should scare us to death. But we feel like, well, let me handle this. Fear pushes us towards control. And I think fear pushes us towards consumption. Uh, Fear, this is psychologically speaking, sociologically speaking, fear is the number one driver of alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, and drug addiction. That's what drives us to those things. It's fear. The fear is that it's gonna run out. The fear is that I won't have enough. Sometimes it manifests itself in shopping, sometimes in eating, Uh, It's why you can't just stop with one Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's why you can't just stop with one pair of Jordans that cost you $300. Because you continue to consume to alleviate your fear. It gives you control and it gives you comfort. And what a grace, what a good gift of God's grace over the past eight months. Like there's nothing that's been exposed in our lives more than anger and fear in the past eight months. Am I right? There's things that have been manifested in you through the coronavirus, through this election season, through racial tension that has revealed, hey, 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 you aren't who you claim to be. So uh, this reveals itself, our weakness in our inner being through anger and through fear and then finally through shame. This is my drug of choice. This is where I run. I run to shame. Uh, shame manifests itself very easily and quickly in my life. I'm wired that way. Um, So I have to watch. This is for me. When I start feeling shame, it reveals to me I'm not satisfied in God. I'm not there. I'm not fully satisfied. The fullness of God has not filled me. 
Here's how it uh, manifests itself. First through virtue signaling. Because we're so shameful, because we know the darkness in our heart, we have to make sure no one else knows that. And so we tell them how good we are. We do it through uh, social media posts. We uh, do it through um, conversations. We do it through texts. We do it through serving people. For me, it's manifested in a type of codependency for me. I'm not okay if you're not okay. When, I, when the weakness of my inner being is exposed and someone is upset with me, I lose sleep, I lose my appetite because I'm not okay if you're not okay. It reveals itself through vanity or a deceit that, well, I know this, but I can't let anybody else know this. I've got skeletons in my closet, but if it were to come out, they're gone. So we become a vain people, a people who put on masks, people who pretend. And then finally we do it through victimhood. We become the victim, everyone else is the perpetrator. Well, if my, if my dad wouldn't have raised me like that, then I wouldn't have this problem. Well, if that church wouldn't have done this, if that pastor wouldn't have done this, if my sister wouldn't have, if my boss wouldn't have, if America wouldn't have, if the president wouldn't have, then I wouldn't. And shame reveals itself in this way. So here's the problem for those of us who struggle with shame. The moment I said that shame was a problem, you became the shame of your shame. I did. I'm like, oh, great. So I have shame for this, and now I'm ashamed of the shame for that. Now I'm ashamed that I have shame that I'm ashamed. It's like quicksand. I can't, I can't like get myself out, out of it. And that's, that's the good news of verses 20 through 21. You cannot get yourself out of it. You cannot overcome shame by being positive. You cannot overcome shame uh, by self-help books. You can't overcome anger with a 12-step program. You can't. The only thing that's gonna satisfy you, the only thing that's going to remedy these things, the only thing that's going to strengthen you in your inner being is the love of Christ. And I know that sounds small. I know that sounds uh, soft, but it's the only thing that will do it. You have to let God love you. We have to. But my issue is that I don't want God to love me just because he loves me. I want him to love me because I'm good. I want to earn his love. I wanna feel like he loves me because I gave something towards that. But I can't. I have to just let him love me. Here's my prayer, my cry for you this morning. Let God love you today. Let him in. Let him into the dark places of your heart to your addictions, to your anger, to your fear and your shame. Let him in, let him in. And here's what he will do. He will fling the door open and you will be exposed. And in God's grace, he will expose the cancer. He will expose what's underneath the iceberg. And then he will come to you and say, now let me have it. I love you. Yeah, you're addicted. I love you. Yes, you did that. I love you. Yes, you're fearful and you don't trust me, but I love you. I love you. Let his love satisfy us. So verse 20 and 21 are taken out of context almost as much as Philippians 4.13. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. We just talked about the power at work within us. It's the power of Christ, right, that strengthens our inner being. So according to our inner being being strengthened, 
We're gonna pray to God who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. That phrase, far more abundantly, is literally a word that Paul made up. Like, it's not even a word. He didn't have a word to explain how much more abundantly God can do things. But we take this out of context and we minimize it. And we think this is about external things. Well, God could do more than I could ever ask or think. Well, so will you please help me meet this financial need? He could do more than I could ever ask or think. So would you please um, heal my family member of cancer? And those are great. They're not, those are great things. Those are high and lofty things. But you know, the greatest work of the power of God is to satisfy your heart. Jesus heals a man's broken leg and then he forgives his sins. And he says, which one did you think was greater? The broken leg or the sin thing? Because I'll do them both so you know. But you know what's more difficult is that I, I forgave his sins. The great work of God, the great work that defeats the enemy in our hearts is that God would give us strength to be satisfied in him. And if you're like me, you're saying, yeah, yeah, but he doesn't, if he knew this though, I mean, I get that, but do you understand what I've done? Do you, do you know the things I do when no one else is around? Do you, do you understand the words I have said to my wife? Do you understand where I've spent most of my life? And I say to you, Ephesians 3.20, he can do more than you could ever ask or think. Well, I just, I just can't be satisfied here because I, I have this addiction to cocaine. He can do more than you could ever ask or think, abundantly more. Well, I, I'm addicted to pornography. Okay, okay. God can satisfy you in a way that you would never ask or imagine. So that's the hope for us. So that in verse 21, to him be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church for all generations, forever and ever, amen, or so be it. So here's the work for us this morning. Stop. Stop. Let's let God love us this morning. How many of you this morning would say, hey, when, when my weakness of my inner being is revealed, it manifests itself in anger? Would anybody say yes? I get angry when my weakness is exposed. You can raise your hand. This is a safe place. Look around. I want you to raise your hand high. Own it. Look around. You are not alone. <laughs> hey, Will. You're not alone. How many would say it's fear? I get fearful, I run to comfort and control. You would raise your hand and say, it's fear. Again, look around, church. Who would say shame? I find it's shame for me. We act like God doesn't know. I act like, well, I've kept it hidden from my wife or I've kept it hidden from my kids or I've kept it hidden from my boss, so surely I've kept it hidden from God, the creator of the universe. No, we haven't. And yet God continues to love us. I don't know what your history is and maybe, maybe you have people who you try to confess things and then they ran from you or they told you how to fix it and they stopped loving you. And then that, um, that starts to lay over your view of God. He, God's bigger than you think he is. He's better than that. And I believe God has a high calling for us as a church. Yes, Big C Church, but there's something I think God's up to here. And I, I don't want us 
to move from vision to application without first saying, okay, God, deal with me. Deal with me. I wanna be satisfied in you. Because if all hell breaks loose and I lose my wife, am I okay? If I'm exposed and my friends leave, am I okay? If I confess this, am I gonna be okay? To him who can do immeasurably, abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. Yeah, yes. I'm okay. Through my sin exposed and my friends leaving and questioning my calling through all of that, God, Genesis 50, 20, took what the enemy meant for evil and there is a steadiness in my heart today that I didn't have three years ago. And you can too. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God if you'll just let him love you today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and go before the Lord today. Again, this isn't a cry to go do better, to go fix it, to go be more patient with your kids, to go um, be better with your spouse. No, here's the cry. You're not satisfied in God. Admit it. We can admit it. Say, God, in this area, I need you to satisfy me. Let your fullness permeate here too. In this closet, in this spot in my attic, in this in my basement, Lord, make your way here. I need it. So Christian, for you this morning, the question begs to be asked, are you satisfied in God? Have you been filled with all the fullness of him? Or do you need him and your husband? Him and your mom? him and your kids, him and your job, him and your bank account? Or is he enough? Because friend, when he is enough, there's nothing he can't do through you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and there isn't a satisfaction, you are not satisfied, you are working and striving and begging and pleading and exhausting and white-knuckling yourself to some kind of success, some, some kind of contentment, uh, some kind of satisfaction, the good, gracious God has exposed you for the fraud that you are and he is saying, but I have better for you and I will satisfy even the deepest desires of your heart. Uh, maybe you're single this morning and you desire to be married. Is God enough for you? I don't mean to condemn you. I know how hard that is. But is he enough? Maybe you're here this morning and you want kids so desperately and I don't blame you. Kids are a gift. It's a right thing to desire. But is God enough? Maybe your marriage is struggling and it's rocky and you're not sure you're gonna make it through this week. Let me ask you, if, if he leaves, is God enough? If you don't know Jesus this morning and you want to find satisfaction in him, you can. And it's simple, it's a confession that um, I've been trying other places. I'm, I'm not who I claim to be. 
I'm broken and I need a savior. And you believe Jesus is that savior. He is that Messiah. He's the son of God who died on the cross for your sins to satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. And you would confess with your mouth that that's him. Then you are saved this morning. Let's go to the Lord. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit at work within us. Because that's where we need the work. It's here. It's in the darkest parts of our heart that we run to to find comfort and control, to be loved, to be accepted, to be respected. It's there. And in your grace, you're revealing it because we can live the next 40 years of our life at 80% of what you've called us to be, but you're not content with that. You want us to be wholly yours. So God, encourage us, keep doing the work in me. I didn't, I never knew it could be this good. And I want more. I want to be filled with all your fullness today and tomorrow. God, would you satisfy us as a people in you, satisfy us as a church in you, so that you may get the glory forevermore in the church and in your son. Amen.